the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Delighted to have you back. You were off gallivanting around the world, or at least around the country, and uh, nice to see you. It's nice to be back. Carol, as many of you know, is a nationally recognized gerontologist and uh, chairman of the board for the National Council on Aging, serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and you recently had a, a, a real honor attending the White House Conference on Aging. We had mentioned that you were going. You're back from it. I'm back. Yes, going How to was the, it? You know, there is. It doesn't matter what you know. You think about politics or the current pers- president or anything. When you walk into the White House and a gentleman in his dress military uniform is playing the piano and a lovely breakfast is spread out and all the napkins have that little White House emblem on them. You know, it's a good day. It's a it's a real kick to be in the White House. Um, and then to actually have the president come out and be in that room you see on television in the East Wing that's all gold. That is cool. Uh, and have him speak, you know, that was it was a lot of fun. Years ago, I flew on Air Force One when uh, President Nixon was president. President, went into the restroom the facilities, and they had monogrammed cloth towels with the White House logo. Oh, yeah, everything. So I took two, put them in my coat pocket, and then I said to myself, you know, I'm going to walk out this door. There'll be a Secret Service agent and say, give me the towels. So I put them back. <laughs> well, that's so funny because I, I took two of the little paper towels. Paper napkins Paper. from breakfast, yeah. and of course they got bent and didn't really travel that well. <laughs> and then I find that everybody else took stacks of them, and I'm trying to be cool. I'm in the White House. I'm That's not going to steal napkins from the White House. And I was wish darn, I should have stolen more napkins. <laughs> now, this was a very small select group uh, attending the uh, White House Conference on Aging. It, it was. There were only 200 people. From uh, all over the country. From all over the country, invited, invited total. Um, and so it, it really was an honor to be included in this group. The first speaker uh, was a gentleman who had, he's 93, who had attended all of the White House conferences. In fact, he and uh, Monsignor Fay, who's a former, Monsignor Chuck Fahey, who is a former NCOA board member, they're the only two people in the country who are still alive and who were there in 1961 when the White House Conference on Aging actually had the discussion that established Medicare Medicaid and the Older Americans Act. How cool is that? Yeah, and he was great. I mean, you know, you know how they found out to have this gentleman speak at the White House conference. He uh, found the Nora Super, who was the executive director appointed by the president to to head the event. He found her on LinkedIn. So he used social media, said, hey, I'm out here, you know, I'm 93, I happen to be at the first one, and that's how she came to be invited to actually speak, which I thought was hysterical. Destroys the stereotype that seniors don't use social media. Oh, that's right, or don't know anything about computers, can't learn new things. It was great. And at this conference, the focus was what? Well, they had four topic areas. Usually they talk about everything. It's usually like a three-day event in the past. It's only held every 10 years. But they have in the past, it's had delegates where they've discussed everything that has to do with aging. This one really looked at baby boomers and aging because boomers are retiring at 10,000 people a day. Turning 65. Turning 65 and retiring. Um, and so they looked at healthy aging, caregiving, retirement security, and elder justice or, um, you know, adult, uh, adult protective services, elder abuse. So the caregiving panel, uh, was, it was very interesting. I would have to say probably the number one thing that came out of it 
were the low wages that we pay paid caregivers. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking with Ken Slavin. Lots of people know the name, a celebrity here in San Antonio, a singer and also public relations professional who's been a caregiver, uh, and he's going to talk about his own personal story. That's right. Yes, that's right. Thank you for for introducing Ken, who's waiting here with us. Um, But talking about caregivers, so they had a caregiver on the panel, and then Ai-jen Poo, who also serves with me on the NCUA board, we were well represented. She recently won a MacArthur Fellow Award wow. for, which is, uh, you know, it's an award over $200,000. You can't apply for it. They just call you and award this to you. Uh, and she was raising the issue of, of how many of us, and my family included, depend on some sort of paid help. Usually when someone has Alzheimer's, your family can do so much, but often before you place someone in a, in a nursing facility, you do get some extra help in the home. And so these people that we rely on to take care of our most precious family members, our moms, our dads, our husbands, our wives, their annual income is $13,000 a year. Seriously. 13000 We want them to support their family and take care of our family for 13000 a year. Um, and so there were a whole group of direct care workers that were wearing shirts that said 15 for the $15 an hour wage. Uh, and so there was a big discussion on that. Uh, the actor David Hyde Pierce actually led that panel. You may remember him from Frasier. Sure. I mean, a lot of people saw him on Broadway in uh, with a spoof on Camelot, well, Spamalot. I knew I'd get it if I said it backwards. <laughs> um, and, you know, and he, he has... His family's been involved with caregiving. I guess his grandfather had Alzheimer's, and he said, not only did we lose my grandfather, we lost my grandmother, and everybody who was involved in that caregiving you know, of my grandfather, it's like they all disappeared because it was so labor-intensive, and it was for so many years. So none of that, that, none of that's a surprise. It was great that caregiving got that kind of focus, and President Obama actually said the words caregiving and help for caregivers uh, during his remarks. And then the last thing I'd say is they there was a lot of talk about how technology in the future will be will come to bear. Uh, you know whether it's smart houses, caregiver apps. They had a gentleman that has an app that matches people who want to be paid caregivers with families who need paid caregivers. And then the app also uses smart house technology to tell that caregiver when they're in the home what they need to do. So, you know, it monitors the actions of the person and then also gives them a checklist. You know, you need to have done this, 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 and the app can follow the care worker around and and make sure that they've done all of those things, which is kind of interesting. You've got a story about a caregiving robots you're going to share with us, because in addition to the White House Conference on Aging, you went to uh, another incredible conference, First Healthy Aging Summit. Yes, so I, I was back in D.C. about a week later for a Healthy Aging Summit, and we all know how fascinated I am <laughs> by this idea of robots that come up from time to time, lo and behold, they had an international panel, and one gentleman was from Japan, and he's a professor at MIT, which means he's really smart. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's a given. Yeah, and he introduced us to Paro, which is a baby seal robot. It looks like a baby seal, but it's a very sophisticated (laughs) robot, and it's about the size of a baby doll. And it, and it weighs, it, you know, they made it where it weighs about 10 pounds, so it feels about the same as a baby doll. And he had all this research around how, you know, the interaction with the robot helped both the person who was had dementia, and it was used specifically in facilities with people with dementia, and how it helped the caregivers as well. So, so picture, you know, if you were to x-ray this little baby seal who's very cute and white and he makes little sounds and if you pet him he ruffles his fur and he kind of snuggles up with you and he per kind of not purrs but he makes a, a a little soothing sound did you get to touch him no i didn't get to touch him but he they had a lot of video and he had one actually there huh. and so you know and they and all the tests they had to do on this robot you know because think what you could possibly do to a robot at home. You know, he's got to be fireproof, drop-proof, squeeze-proof, antibacterial-proof, animal-proof. You know, his electronics have to be solid. So so the testing that they did, part of the testing they did was around a gentleman who, before he had dementia, he spoke both German and, I think it was German and Danish or something. Um, And he had stopped speaking German. 
when they gave him the little Paro robot, he put it in his lap and he started speaking German to the little robot. You know, Amazing. just, uh, you know, he hadn't used it in years. And another gentleman who hadn't spoken in two years. Literally hadn't spoken. Had not spoken at all. Started talking to Paro. The minute, you know, he gets him in the lap. He's like, hello, gorgeous. He's speaking Italian. It was translated. Right. Hello, gorgeous. Have you been waiting for me? Everybody's like, oh, my gosh. And so they have research that shows these dementia caregivers that with Paro, they have less wandering. So they use it to control wandering. Somebody who wanders a lot that here have a rob- have the little baby seal robot, um, and they have less uh, high risk or medications that you know we really don't want to give medications to people who are, have high anxiety. Right. Give them the robot, no anxiety. I, and I, the most fascinating statistic was around the use of robots, uh, caregivers using robots. Guess which country uses more robots? than any other country. Japan. Japan, because they don't have animal therapy. So this whole project was based on animal therapy, which in the United States we're very comfortable with. We know that. But people in Japan don't have any concept of pet therapy or animal therapy. They're like robot therapy. Great. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, it was fascinating. Fascinating. And at this conference, uh, you presented... We presented on our Adult Protective Services grant, so we were teaching uh, physicians and other healthcare providers about how important it is to know about elder abuse, be able to identify it, and to act on it when you suspect it. And it's an intervention program in which well-med clinics, physicians, and others uh, are trained now to identify possibilities of abuse and report it to Adult Protective Services. Right. We use a screening tool, the Elder Abuse Suspicion Index, which is six questions that we ask the just the patient, the caregiver's not in the room. And the idea is not a gotcha for the caregiver. You know, it is unfortunately a reality that many times a family member or a caregiver may be a perpetrator of elder right. abuse. But it's to find out, are we going down that path that there's suspicion something's wrong? We want to help that caregiver, that family member. Adult Protective Services wants to help that family. And we definitely want to help the person who may be being abused or might potentially be abused if they're in a bad situation. I had my annual checkup with my well-med physician and the, uh, I guess, health coach or nurse asked me those questions as part of my preliminary to my exam. Excellent. I'm glad and, to hear them. Yes, and they were very direct. Oh, they in are. In the last two weeks, has anybody injured you? In yeah, the la- or made you feel uncomfortable, right. used your money against right. your will. Um, so I just answered yes to each of those questions. You know, and the amazing thing is we've screened almost 8,000 people with the, for suspicion of elder abuse, and out of those, 500 cases, been, 500 cases wow. have come out for Adult Protective Services, which each one of those people is somebody who really is at risk. And an intervention can save their life. Absolutely. And our partnership with Adult Protective Services, I can't say wow. enough positive things about APS here in Texas. Cool. Ken Slavin is going to join us in a couple of moments talking about his own personal experience as a caregiver. And we will welcome him to Caregiver SOS On Air with Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel coming up. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. I'll take romance While my heart is young and eager to fly I'll give my heart a try I'll take romance 
the soft, dulcet tones of Ken Slavin joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and Ken Slavin is known far and wide here and in New York and elsewhere as a performer. He is, as you just heard, an incredible singer. I've known him for years, and he can still carry a tune. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> Thank you for, for having me, Ron. I'm delighted to be here. And, and although I thought I knew everything about Ken Slavin, I, I did not know you have been a caregiver, and... Uh, that's an incredible sidelight to what else you're involved in. Yeah, it's 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 been an unexpected role um, in recent usually, months. Usually is. <laughs> I, I always kind of pictured it as happening maybe a little bit later in, in life. Um, but, um, yes, for the, the last uh, uh, eight months or so, I've been helping to take care of my mother. Tell us about it. How did this happen? What's the situation, if you don't mind sharing? No, I don't mind sharing at all. Um, and thank goodness, for the time being, she's actually doing quite well. I um, it it all started right before Christmas after my last show in New York, that my most recent show in New York. I'd been back about two weeks, and Mom and I went to dinner, and she had um, uh, a seizure uh, while we were having dinner, and I'm I'm setting this up because it doesn't ha- really have anything to do with what's wrong with her now, but it helped us discover what was wrong. She had what they call a trans-ischemic accident, and so it was really an awful experience. I, I, I knew she was having some kind of stroke. Well, we got her to the hospital, and she uh, she came out of it. She was fine. There was no brain damage. But they started running MRIs and other kinds of tests, and they, they, they eventually diagnosed her with metastasized cancer, um, kidney cancer, which had spread the lungs. But the final diagnosis wasn't made till March. There were multiple tests and, and there was another couple of hospital stays. And other so, than the seizure, she'd been feeling okay? Yes. My, my, um, my mother is a longtime survivor of a, of a quadruple bypass and um, has been um, a patient with diabetes for many years. And she has always been an incredibly compliant patient. And so People see her. People have known my mother for years and don't know there's anything wrong with her. How old is she? She's 74. Yeah. She's too young. It's <laughs> too, too young. young. Yeah. She is yeah, too, too young. young. That's why I was saying I wasn't expecting these sorts of things right now. But uh, actually, we see – she and I and my family uh, prefer to look at that stroke as a um, – uh, a way for God or the universe or whatever to intervene and let us find what was wrong. She had no symptoms of cancer at all. And we had absolutely no idea there was anything wrong with her besides the heart and the diabetes. And so it was really a blessing in disguise, even though it was, you know, a painful experience for her. And as you became transitioning into a caregiver, tell us how that happened. Well, um, part of it was because I was the one of the three siblings that was available because I had just recently left a full-time job and I was back to doing freelance work while I uh, continued to pursue uh, New York singing opportunities and, and other music opportunities. As you know, Ron, I've, I've been in a singer for 25 years and been juggling it with public relations work. And I was, you know, I've been trying to make that leap where, PR no longer has to figure in, and I can actually go into music. Well, if you lived in a major market, not that we're not a major market. But, we're not, lived, but we're not in a major a, market. In a musical <laughs> center, uh, you would have already been full-time music. And that's my, still my hope. I'm not giving up at the, uh, at the age of 53, nearly 54. I'm not giving up. Things I like be, that you're dyeing your hair gray. It's thank very, you. Yes, it, yes, it, it's becoming. The, the lighter color helps to hide the lines. Yeah, in the exactly. Face. But the, uh, I kind of transitioned into this role, and I don't want to create an impression that my mother is at a stage where I have to be with her you know, 24 hours a day. It isn't like that at all. She still lives on her own. But where I've stepped in is where I am available, and I want to be involved in her care. And so um, I take her to the doctor's appointments. I keep track of the doctor's appointments. I try to uh, my very best to keep up with uh, prescriptions and, and um, all of the things that need to be done. Other members of my family pitch in in, in ways that they can, but I'm, I physically have the time and the ability to kind of be the, uh, the person that's with her at most of the appointments. And um, I spend a lot of time with her and I, you know, prepare meals and, and do things like that. But as I say, she's still, she is not by any means bedridden. She's, she's doing extremely well. She's in her fourth round of chemotherapy right now. So, uh, you know, what you're describing is fairly common. A, you're the 
the available person is gets gets to yes. wins the game uh, and is the caregiver. But the work that you're doing, even though you, you know she doesn't need care twenty four seven. But being at those appointments, setting up the appointments, being at the appointments, taking notes, getting the meds, you know, you feel all of that, uh, you know, after you've been doing it for a while. Yes, feels the right word. <laughs> I, um, I'm, an, I'm a naturally curious person, and I, I started life, uh, my, my adult career out as a, started out as a journalist. Um, so I ask a lot of questions. I do take a lot of notes. I I'm, happen to be very close to my mother. I've always been close to my mother, um, but in this in this particular instance, I've just kind of um, it's kind of morphed into this role. But I am um, I have grown more accustomed to it. At 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 first, it was felt like it was an emergency situation because it was you know just happening. Um, but now we're in for what I'm calling the long haul, and I. Um, and doing uh, what I call the heavy lifting. Um, I'm sure there are other phrases that are used by by people who are in much worse situations than I am, where their parents are much, or you know, or a loved one is much much more ill than than mine is. She she obviously it's stage four cancer, so my mother is not in a good situation. But I also have a mother who is extremely strong willed and very. Um, uh, active in our own care as well. So we've kind of become a team at it. And when you uh, talk about, for those who don't know the terminology, uh, renal cancer that is metastasized, that means? That means it has spread to other parts of her body. In this, in this instance, it has spread to her lungs. And so um, it's a, uh, a tumor on the left kidney that spread to her lungs. And she is not a good candidate for surgery because she's had multiple surgeries over the years for various problems, including her heart. And um, she has other health conditions that make being put under with anesthesia very dangerous for her. She has COPD and she did have an operation in January to unclog the carotid artery that caused the stroke. Um, And she did, she, the surgery went well, but she did very badly in the operating room. And she was in the hospital for over a week, unable to oxygenate on her own. So her pulmonologist and her oncologist have agreed that she is not a candidate to have an operation to remove that tumor on her kidney. The, the, the treatment would probably advance more quickly and more effectively if not, if we did, if she could have that done. So at this stage, we literally just last week had the first images, the first CAT scan images of her tumors since the official diagnosis in March. And there's been absolutely no change despite three full rounds of chemotherapy there, but there has been no growth. The, the tumors have not grown. They haven't changed one bit. And so at this point, the oncologist is saying, I will take that. I will will take that. And the fact that uh, at this stage of the game, my mother's not in pain makes a big difference. To be quite honest, one of the things that's taking up most of her time and energy is battling a diabetic ulcer. She also, she has Uh, stomach ulcer. No, but diabetic diabetic ulcer ulcer on her, on her ankle. Oh, right. Ankle. And it is in its eight, or ninth month of being treated at the wound center at Warm Springs. So she's she tells people, if it weren't for this darn foot, I'd be feeling just fine. Uh, you know, so. And that's so frustrating to have. You know, that's what I always say. The the wonderful thing about growing older is you can have more than one thing go wrong at the <laughs> exactly. same time. You know, there's no limitation. It's very very bizarre, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I have I have been so active in taking her places because it's it's difficult for her to get around. If it weren't for the foot, I mean. I mean, she can still drive and everything, but to be honest, when she's on a chemotherapy round, I don't want her driving because I'm worried that she's going to get Stay dizzy. Stay with us just something. a minute. For those of you who've just joined us, his voice has got to be familiar. Ken Slavin, many of you have heard him on various radio stations and uh, involved in music and performance here in Bear County and across the country. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM. The answer, we're talking about Ken's new role as a caregiver for his mom. The treatment goes on. Now you've mentioned the diabetic cancer, uh, the ulcer on her foot that she has renal cancer as well. Uh, I hate to ask you, but with fourth stage cancer, what's the prognosis? Well, you know, several people have asked me that. We've asked 
the oncologist. We've asked all the doctors. They refuse to give us a prognosis. And from what I understand from um, other people who've gone through similar experiences, that's not uncommon these days. And so uh, we don't know. I don't know. At all. All I know is that every single week we go to the oncologist's office. We have the blood work drawn. Um, she gets saline infusions to say to stay hydrated, and they they monitor her blood progress. And they sometimes give her injections to help build up her red blood cells. But um, they won't tell us at all. And uh, except the, the doctor hints that this could go. This could go on for a long, long time. And if my mother, or you know, who's a retired RN, she would say that that's good because that allows for a quote, you know, magic. You know, it allows for you know how your mother feels about the illness, how all of her individuality, because everybody is so different in attitudes mm-hmm. and all of that come mm-hmm. into play. You know, with your health. So, for those who are listening, who are like you, either newbie caregivers—you're not that newbie—but are becoming a caregiver. Well, what kind of advice would you share with them that you have learned about yourself? And we'll get that from you in just a moment. As we are here on Caregiver SOS on air with Ken Slavin and Carol Zerniel, a story that uh, is important because, folks, you mentioned uh, uh, the White House conference on aging and the other conference that you went to on uh, healthy aging. Uh, and all kinds of folks now are looking at caregiving. We'll talk more about that. We need to increase what they're paying caregivers across this country. because Including family caregivers. Including who, family I mean, you know, caregivers. You know what the great pay you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stick with us right here on Caregiver SOS on air at 930 a.m. The Answer. Oh, you can't from out of nowhere. And you took my heart And you found it free Wonderful dreams Wonderful schemes out of nowhere Made every hour Sweet as a flower for me should go back to your nowhere. Pretty cool. Ken Slavin, man you know, knows how to sing. I, I know I don't even want to go man on with this sing. show. Maybe this is a musical show and we just don't yeah, know it. Exactly. I'm Ron Aaron along with Ken Slavin, our co-host Carol Zerner. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Ken is sharing with us his experience that came about rather suddenly as a caregiver before we return to the story, which is a great story. When did you know you could sing? Oh, wow. Um, I always, well, I guess even at a very young age, I knew I could or, or I wanted to, let's put it that way. But I didn't really know that I could sing well until I was almost 30 years old. I was 29 when I first started singing professionally. Wow. And that was because I was encouraged by a band leader here in San Antonio named George Prado with Why the Regency, George, Jazz, sure. Regency Jazz Band. He believed in me. He, he let me sit in once at a gig down on the Riverwalk, and he heard me and he said, you ought to consider going professional. But prior to that, growing up, I just thought I was a kid that liked to sing with records, which is what I did. I was totally embarrassed to sing in front of people. And uh, the couple of times I had the courage to try out for a musical in college, I got shot down. And um, I, wow. had a, I had a nun once tell me to mouth the words, only mouth the words in a choir. <laughs> because I was wondering how you escaped the choir director yeah, yeah. who crushed your dreams <laughs> yeah, of you singing. Know, you, know how Catholics, you know how Catholic schools are. They, 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 uh, nuns expect all children to sing. But I was one of those kids that started becoming a baritone before the other boys, and so I was drowning everyone out. They were all sopranos. But I misinterpreted that sister and thought that I was had an awful voice. Years later, I sent her one of my albums. She lives, She's retired in Ireland now, and I sent her a note. And she wrote back and said, oh, Ken, I always knew you could sing. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad she didn't tell you. Yeah, yeah really. You should put that in front of that. I love the way you sing, but you're drowning everyone that out. That is so funny. Now, back to the story of your mother and uh, uh, sudden onset of what uh, is a stroke and then diagnosis with renal cancer. Uh, you started to tell us uh, off the air, and I said, no, 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 tell us on the air uh, about what a shock this has been. It was. It, it has been a shock, and it wasn't something I think – I don't think anyone's prepared for bad news with their parents, but um, we have been – we ha- – 
as a family, have dealt with uh, multiple health issues for my mother, and she's done extremely well and always remained very independent. The cancer diagnosis was a shock because she sees doctors regularly and she goes in for all kinds of tests because of her heart condition and her diabetes condition. And um, nobody spotted this. Kidney cancer is a really tricky form of cancer because you can have, um, you can have uh, uh, no symptoms and your renal reports, your, your kidney function reports from regular blood work can appear perfectly normal because the other kidney is taking oh, over for it. Yes, it's compensating for the other one. Yeah. That's what the doctors told us because there was no indication of anything. They only discovered cancer because they saw some shadows on her lungs when they were x-raying her head and neck after the stroke. Uh, I was going to say, how did they get from TIA, a stroke in her head, down to the kidneys? I was and trying to figure has, that one out. And my mother's told everybody who, you know, who will listen, and my mother is just as much a talker as I am. <laughs> She'll tell everyone, I went from, you know, playing with my dogs and taking care of my grandchildren to suddenly being told I had cancer in, in, you know, just a matter of a few weeks. And it was an enormous blow to her, but it was also an enormous blow to the family because all of us, I, for me anyway, I can't speak for my siblings, but I, I think they would agree. Um, we didn't see my mother as mortal until now. Right. Interesting. Right. Well, I think most kids don't see their. I mean, I've lost my father. My father's been dead 12 years. And I've dealt with that. And he died very young from a serious health issue. But I don't know. I, I cannot imagine a world without my mother in it. And my mother always seems to overcome everything. And so this has just been a hard blow on multiple levels to all of us. And, the, and I think everyone's reacted a little differently in the family, each person. So tell us what you've learned about yourself going through this and the advice you might give to others who are Maybe later today, getting the news that forces them into caregiving. Well, I, I, w- one of the things, I, the, the ultimate thing I think that I have learned through this experience is that you can't control everything. I <laughs> have always been kind of a control freak. My mother is a control freak. Gee, what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and you've seen, you know yeah. me in the oh, PR yeah. business and music business, you think you can control everything. And... Um, <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a difficult time letting that go. I, I um, have said to people recently that I'm um, only now eight months. It's it's been eight months or nine, eight or nine months since the the stroke. I'm only now beginning to understand what people mean when they say take it one day at a time. Well, give us an example of what you'd like to control and can't. Well, um, I would I. This Besides sounds, the doctor's appointment, it sounds well. It sounds stupid. From beginning from the diagnosis, my mother uh, was doing everything right to stay healthy after right. all these problems right. she had, and it didn't matter. She still had can't got cancer. Um, uh, I would like to be able to, in my case, maybe control my emotions a little bit better. I have days where I feel really positive. Um, and constructive, and I'm, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to help. And then I have days where I ha- I'm full of doubt that I'm that I'm doing it right, or I'm full of sadness. And so it's a matter of um, uh, trying to deal with that. And uh, there is this part of me. I'm the oldest son. I've always been in a kind of role where in a lot of bad situations with my family, I could wave a magic wand and everything would be okay. But that is not at all what I can do this time. I can't wave a magic wand. You don't Uh, have it. So, uh, you know, all I can tell people is that you're not in control, um, but you can control daily. You can try to control daily how you feel, what kind of an attitude you have toward each day. And you can control... um, uh, the, the the time the 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 amount of time and the quality of the time that you're having with your loved one. I'm spending more time with my mother now than I have in years, and I'm unemployed, so things are not good on that front. But I think it's also a divine intervention because how who else would be doing this for my mother? The, the, my brother and sister both, you know, work and have families and all of that, and I don't. I'm single, so it's almost as though. A bad turn in my professional life actually became a blessing to help my mother and me. I'm, I'm, I, I would recommend everyone to cherish every single moment you've got 
and uh, use that time with your loved one to maybe learn more about that loved one and more about the family. We've been sharing family stories and doing all kinds of having wonderful flashback talks, you know, for uh, about uh, when when I was born and when I was a child and <laughs> about her parents and about right. her life. Um, in fact, I've been giving serious consideration to sitting down and recording some of this with my you mother. Should. We, you we should. We actually had a guest that recorded... Um, her, her mother actually had Alzheimer's, but she still she recorded all the conversations that she had with her mother and some of the conversations her mother was making everything up and some of them <laughs> were based in reality. But then she wrote a book just on those conversations because her mother, who had been very serious before she had Alzheimer's, suddenly became very talkative and had lots of cute sayings and was, you know, a little font of wisdom you know, when she, she had the dementia. It. I'm going to have to talk to you after the show to learn about that book. Uh, that would be very interesting. To, you know, my mother's mother had Alzheimer's and my mother went through a similar experience with her mom and learned a lot too yeah. early early onset mm-hmm. my grandmother got in, in her 50s when she was my age oh, yeah. so that's, I'm, that's I'm, really I'm watching tough. for the sign she was 54 when she was diagnosed <laughs> and I'm going to be 54 very well, we'll soon have you back. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll invite you back in six months and we can help you with the diagnosis well, Ken, on that Ken might benefit and, and we can tell him about uh, the caregiver teleconnection program that WellMed operates well we have a telephone support program for caregivers um, where we post a calendar every month and it has different topics you know it might be um, you know taking care of yourself getting enough sleep I'd be talking about a lawyer getting things in order you know a variety of doctors physicians social workers that are experts in what they do and they provide you know need to know information and then there's opportunities for the people on the phone to interact and you can ask questions and share expertise with each other i'll use the example um you know people that gold bond powder that you know when i first got in the business it seemed like every caregiver told new caregivers you need to know about gold bond powder because apparently that's the best powder for anybody's skin in the entire world i don't know why but that was kind of the you know yet caregivers are experts too you've learned you know in the time that you've been doing it yeah. yeah you can you can teach other ones but i wanted to go back to something. So anyway, there, our sessions are free and we can caregiversos.org. I'm you going to look into that. I, I, I would like that. I think it would be helpful to me and to my family uh, to, you know, because, you know, it's obviously this is going to be a long term situation and right. it's going to be, you know, depending on how you hope it's long term. Yes, we, right. we, we have we, high hopes that it's going to be long term. Right. And, you, and it's just nice to have some of those tools and information in your hip pockets when you well, do see, need you're, it. You're bringing this up is very, very uh, another important point to make to whoever's listening. I, I'm sure with other guests you've had, they've exp- they've expressed how they sometimes feel like they're very alone in this experience. Yes. Um, I've had moments where I thought I was so isolated from everybody about it. And I've made a point of trying not to be, but there have been times where I felt alone. And then the magic of Facebook and places like that, if you express yourself openly on there like I do – there's an outpouring of people who've gone through just what you've gone through, and they're willing to share it and teach you, right. which I didn't know. This has opened up a new world to me, actually, because I this was never – this wasn't something that I was – I didn't right. plan for this. No. This wasn't on the horizon, you know? And that's one of the, the great things, you know, because a lot of us, you know, we're being so polite. We don't want to ask about the cancer. We don't want to intrude. And I think the result of us being so polite is a lot of times people do – feel cut off you know mm-hmm. wouldn't you like the opportunity to say i'm having a really bad day and you're never going to believe what happened and, and what they don't know about uh, someone like me is if you could just say hello and go oh hello i'd like to talk to you about cancer today because <laughs> yeah. i'm also a per- i'm a person who talks about everything about everything and see, all and so does my mother she has no qualms about discussing her condition with anybody all i can say is call please come by <laughs> yeah, can't we'll, we'll, can, can, we'll buy his yap, album we'll and give him a call <laughs> as you hear his story carol uh, and this is Ken Slavin, Carol Zorniel. I'm Ron Aaron on Caregiver SOS on air. I've got about a minute left. Uh, it, it, it's a story you hear over and over and over again. Well, it it is, you know, it, but it, it, it's we hear this all the time, but it's so personal. And Correct. It's different for everybody, and yet there are so many commonalities, and that's why we do this particular radio show is so that people, you know, can know that there are other caregivers out there. There there are resources. You know, maybe there's some social media friends that you don't know yet that are waiting, you know, to support you. So it's all important. Hey, we thank you for coming on. We're about out of time. You know how well, that goes. Of course. It was my pleasure. I, I, I think I kind of babbled. 
babbled a little bit, but I was happy to be a part you of the show. You did a nice job. Yeah, that's, a, that's a preferable guest to the one who doesn't say a word yeah, but, on the right. radio. Yeah, we've had the deer in the headlight guest. So, <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Thank, well, thank you, very, you much. very much. For Carol Zernial, I'm Ron Aaron. Take 10 is up next right here on Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. We're just sitting here on the beaches of Hawaii getting ready to talk. No, music always makes me think of that. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air, and we are joined, as we often are in our Take 10 segment, by Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known expert on caregiving and addictions. Interesting combination, in fact. And, And, Carol, you just came from two really important conferences dealing with aging and caregiving and all the issues surrounding it. So you had a pretty good topic for this Take 10. Well, I, I thought we would talk about the state of caregiving. So you know, my takeaways from the White House Conference on Aging with caregiving is one of the four key topics. You know, besides the, the fact that we don't pay our paid caregivers enough, they make 13000 a year, which we, we mentioned earlier in the show, the one, what they didn't talk about was the complete lack of a system for long-term services and support. So, you know, if you don't spend down to Medicaid or you don't have enough money for private pay, we don't have a system of caring. You're stuck. You're, you're stuck in the middle. So, Jamie, in terms of the, if you know, if you were planning the White House Conference on Aging and the caregiving segment, you know, what do you think would have been like the top three things that you might have wanted to, to bring up as important? You know, Carol, this is an open dialogue with America, and we could be authentic, square up. I think we would have paid a, a huge amount of attention to exactly what you said was not paid to, which is long-term care um, and, and, and where we're going from here. Because if you look at the health care reform, though it had you know, great delivery system changes and transformations, it never addressed long-term care. It never addressed, really, how do we age in place, uh, all the services of direct care uh, workers, how do we deal with them in terms of a proper way of, of giving them salaries and benefits and making sure that we treat those who treat the people we love um, extremely well. We, we really did not get into that from what I saw. Now, you were there, and I appreciate your response about what was left out, um, but it's unfortunate because I would talk about professional caregiving. I would talk about what we do and educate family caregivers because we know that family caregivers, just like parenting, have little or no real curriculum to figure this out. Well, and, you know, you talk about, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we think about when a child is born, we go to all these parenting classes and we read all these books and, you know, we get ready, we get ready. Um, But maybe you're a caregiver who didn't know you were going to become a caregiver. You get thrown into it. You've never had a curriculum. You don't even know where to find a curriculum. Um, So that whole lack of training is very real, uh, and people are looking for the training, and it's either not there or they can't find it. Well, we just interviewed someone on this program, Ken Slavin, a a well-known local singer and and public relations professional who uh, overnight became a caregiver for his mom, diagnosed with uh, renal cancer that had metastasized into her lungs, had no idea it was there, and suddenly he's a caregiver. You know, personally, I believe that there's a lot of implications that go into this word caregiving. Obviously, it's been something we've taken for granted. 
Um, it's been something disproportionately put in women's laps. It's, it's almost been gender-specific. Of course, we know now that one out of two marriages are ending out in divorce, so men are going to have to uh, really show up and, and be taught. But for some reason, like um, many rights in our country, you know, it's whose ox is getting gored. And, and for, for the life of me, I think they've treated this like we are all Mother Teresa's and still have, instead of formalizing education, showing the respect, you know, to caregivers that they deserve, knowing that if they quit, providing now $400 billion of in-kind care, their entire health care system would collapse. Yeah, it would be interesting if they'd had a discussion rather than spending, you know, all of the money on the nursing home side. Uh, only still in most states, Medicaid, you have to be eligible for Medicaid to be a paid family member. If you're eligible for Medicaid, they'll let you stay at home with a family member taking care of you, and they'll pay that family member. That is not an option that is available you know, for at higher incomes, and I'm not talking about rich. We're talking about just above the poverty level or the the cutoff for Medicaid. And there are so many families where, if we could, you know, you're asking somebody to quit working. We know that a woman who quits working to caregive is going to lose about three hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars in lost income and retirement income overall. And we're asking her to do that. When could we not invest some of the at the end cost of the nursing home costs and help support that family caregiver and give her some income, keep her in the work, sort of the working pool, but the work she's doing is keeping mom out of the nursing home. Well, is anybody looking at this with 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day? Uh, the numbers of caregivers uh, are going to run out in terms of family members, uh, and the well, need for professional caregivers grows. America, as usual, we are starting to line up with the financial incentives now that we have you know yeah, now that there are financial incentives right ours as a country quality of care outcomes that were being paid on if you will value-based health care you see what carol just described ron taught everybody was a disease specific sort of world that we're trying to emerge from that fee-for-service world if everybody and i'm not this is not a big you know high five for social workers but if everybody in the government saw health care in a family systems approach, the way we were trained as social workers, um, you know, from the beginning of time, they would know that hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities need to take the responsibility and it needs to be, I think, legislated in some way to actually bring in the caregivers through education, through sort of, you know, how do we deal with their mental health? How do they help in the care transitions uh, process of admissions and readmissions? How do they help with medication compliance? These, to me, are institutional responsibilities if we're looking at a value-based health system and a family systems approach. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman. We're talking about the state of caregiving in America today. And, and, you know, with the caregiving issues that we're facing, um, there's a – where the thought – I don't think the connecting the dots has, has happened that often is, you know, the, we're all relying on – it's like the voluntary military. Um, we're all relying on the goodwill of families uh, to jump in like our guest – and take care of our parents and our spouses and our children and anybody who needs care. Um, and that we're going to, you know, because actually we could all sit down and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to take care of mom. I'm not going to take care of my husband. No, I'm not going to do that. And everything would completely fall apart. So, totally. And, you know, you China actually has legislated that. Their one-child policy has had severe uh, implications in terms of family caregiving. And so now in China, they've codified, they literally put in laws that if you don't take care of your parents, um, it's a crime. And they'll kill and so you. So here in America, <laughs> they throw you in you jail. Know, <laughs> so someone else, somebody else has to take care of two pairs of parents. Well, I'm sure they're going to do something other than put you in jail. That, you know, that, that's a tad counterproductive, but you may be, be correct. But, but here it's become, I mean, in China, it's become such an issue that it's actually now part of the laws. I agree with you, Carol. I think that we're looking at a volunteer group here. And we're, that's the, one of the problems, I think, of the White House Conference on Aging for me, that their tagline was empowering all Americans as we age. Well, it's great to empower all Americans, but how do you empower all Americans? What is our responsibility? In fact, what is government really supposed to do 
if not to educate and empower and provide programming so caregivers are prepared. Right, and I, I, I think one of the things they did do at the White House Commerce, they were really, they had a surprising number of private industry, a business at that particular conference talking about technology, talking about how companies now, we talked about the financial incentives, this, this, you know, people are seeing, oh, I could make money off of this crisis. And they're talking about how for-profit companies and entrepreneurs are going to go into this space and, and, and maybe help, maybe displace some traditional providers. But it, it still, to me, feels patchwork. It feels a little of this, a little of that. Maybe we'll all throw it in and make chicken soup together. Um, it's not a system. Got less no. than a minute left, Jamie. You get the last word. Well, like Native Americans, it's not honoring the wisdom and, and the life and the integrity of our seniors. If we're waiting for this financial sort of gold rush and we're making this all, again, a financial piece, uh, I think it lacks the heart and soul of how do we honor our elders who used to be, obviously, the people that built our society, that fought our wars, that, that did everything for this country. I think we need to go far beyond this sort of private enterprise and, as a government, take ownership of this issue. Well, it sure makes sense. Thank you, Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. You've been listening to Take 10, part of our Caregiver SOS on-air program that comes to you every week right here on 930 AM, The Answer. And we will talk with you again next week. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on-air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention. And it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on. We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives. So what do you look for in, in, in terms of preventing disease? Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness. And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on. We've always been the forerunner for prevention. And now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it. Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eikhoff, I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com